Well, thanks, Aaron. So today, um, I have the privilege of speaking to you all out of uh, Colossians. So we're in a series on Colossians called Supreme. Um, And the title of this message is going to be Supreme, um, Finding Christ as Our Confidence. Um, And our confidence is found um, in the person of Christ. Uh, This has been a a challenging sermon series, I think, um, but it's been a really deep one. So let's read the verse uh, together. Colossians 2, 1 through five. And stand with me as we read the word. Thank you. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for all those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, Lord, I commit this time to you. I pray that you would be with us today through the reading of the word. That your spirit would be working on our hearts, communicating things, communicating the treasures and the riches and the wisdom of your word now. We thank you so much for your son who died for us, in whom we have confidence. Be with us today. Amen. So, this book of Colossians isn't exactly the easiest book to read. Uh, The sentence structure can be a little complex, a little confusing, and tough to understand. Um, In fact, I was originally working on this sermon in the airport in Atlanta. Uh, I had about a three-hour layover, and it took me a pretty solid chunk of that layover just to try to understand what the text was saying. Like, I had my phone out, I had my Bible out, I had my notepad out, um, I was looking at multiple commentaries, and it, it took me a solid you know, two hours to even just understand, I think I feel like I know what's going on with this verse. And so, um, it's a beautiful day outside, I'm not going to keep you two hours, we are not in the Atlanta airport. Um, but I do think that there's something super rich, and I hope to be able to walk all of you through it today. So let's turn to just the first verse. We're just going to go through this verse by verse. Verse 1 of Colossians 2. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for those who have not seen me face to face. And I'm sorry, my notes are out of order. I'm going to take one second to get these pages in order, and I will return.
got it. Thank you for your patience. I'm going to go ahead and read the verse again. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So this is Paul. Paul is speaking to the church at Colossae as well as a neighboring church in Laodicea. So these are cities that are located in what is now known as Turkey. Um, And they were part of the Roman Empire at the time. And the thing that I think is pretty interesting to note here, and Paul even says it, is that these people haven't seen him face to face. Um, Our understanding is that at the time of this writing, Paul had not actually visited these churches and didn't actually um, know all of the leaders, maybe one or two. Uh, And so that's something that actually kind of makes you push pause for a second, because you see here it says, Paul says that he was in a great struggle for you, but these are people that he hasn't even met. I mean, like if you were in Colossae, you're minding your own business, you have your church gathering, and you get a letter, and you're like, uh, someone named Paul sent us a letter, um, and he's struggling for us. (laughs) You might be like, okay, hi, Paul. Good to meet you, you know? What's so uh, important? Um, it seems like zero to 100 really fast, you know? Um, and I feel like, <laughs> like we all have those people in our lives, right? That are just a little bit too excited about things. You wake up in the morning and they're like, good morning. Like, Hi, good to see you. I'll have a number one. <laughs> I mean, my mom's dog is actually kind of like this. Like I've done, I've done nothing for this dog. Honestly, y'all, this is my mom's dog. I don't feed her. I don't walk her. Um, I maybe give her a belly rub every once in a while. But when I walk in the door, like, you would think, like, it's, it's heaven on earth. Like, she's bouncing up and down. She's barking. She's rolling at my feet. And I, I'm just like, hi, dog. Like, just chill. Like, it's fine. It's fine. And, and I'm actually one of the only people she does this with. It's me and my brother. And uh, when my brother comes home, though, because my brother is in college. When my brother comes home from college, we say it's like, my, like the dog is like a teenager that's seeing her pop idol for the first time, like meeting her pop idol. Because my brother will walk in the house and be like, I'm home, Lacey, I'm home. And the dog will be like, oh, hi, cool. That's cool. I'm cool. You're cool. Like kind of saunter up to him, saunter away. And this is, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. This is literally what she does. She'll run down to the basement and just like have an absolute freak out, manic attack and panic and run around in a circle. Just, you know how like dogs hunch their butts when they run and like do that little thing? Running around a circle, running around a circle, and then come back up and be like, oh, hey, oh, hey, Michael, like, good to meet you. My name is Lacey. It's all cool. Anyway, anyway, I'm going too far with this. Um, <laughs> personalizing animals just a little bit too much. Um, we, we may not know uh, why she acts that way, why she goes absolutely bananas. It's, it's probably something deep, something instinctual, something that happened to do with how she was raised, I, I honestly don't know what's driving those responses. But it was something important. Um, and as we return to these verses, I do think it is important to think, why is Paul coming at the Colossians like he is? Like he's saying, literally, I'm struggling for you in prayer. Like I'm, I'm laying myself out before the Lord for you for something that I consider super, super important. Like I would, so important I would write this book for someone that I don't even know. So what, what is this, like, what is this treasure? What the, the fruit of Paul's life seems to indicate that there was something good, something valuable, something of note here. And indeed, the last few weeks, uh, in my testimony of spending time in these verses over the last few weeks, through the ups and downs of life, I can bear witness that there is um, value in these verses. 
there is something of God in these verses. There's something God for us. So let's go on to the next part. I want you, this is Paul paraphrasing. Can we go to the, um, the focus of the verse? No. All right, look. We can go back to the larger verse. Yeah. There we go. So skipping down a little bit into the verse, he says, Paul's speaking to the clutch, and he says, I want you to reach all the riches and full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Elena said something last Sunday that I think was really, really important. Uh, and Elena said this, that to understand Christ as our foundation was not something that we could be persuaded of, but something that had to be revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. Something that had to be revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. And I think that that was really profound. And as I was working through Colossians, just for myself, I, I came to the same conclusion. That understanding the foundational nature of Christ as our confidence is, is somehow simple yet mysterious as well. And I believe in what I would submit to you all today as, as we continue in this verse is that the key to understanding this, the key to our understanding, our interaction with God is that it's in terms of a relationship, not just an intellectual exchange. I'll say that again, that a key to this, to understanding our interaction with God is in terms of a relationship, not intellectual exchange. And if we go to the verse, it talks about our intellect, right? So it says, full assurance of understanding, knowledge of God's mystery, treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Like these seem to be things that we're, we're mentally like, uh, you know, grabbing and understanding. But how are they attained? How are these things being given to us? It's in the person of Christ, which is Christ in whom are hidden. Christ, the person of God who came and lived among us. And so here's the thing. One of the reasons that Paul was writing this letter to the first place was that he was looking to combat some of the common threats to the church. So we go to verse 4. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. You see that there were other things going on in Colossae at the time. Other philosophies that were important uh, and standing out. And we've talked about it a little bit in this series. But one of the common philosophies was the Gnostic philosophy and one of the keys to the Gnostic philosophy is that there is a secret knowledge. There's something else that we have to attain, um, some text or experience that we have to have that will carry us forward in our spirituality. And so it was causing a lot of stress for the Colossians. They were wondering what else do we need that we can, that we can grab onto to help solve life. Because this is a common temptation. It's a tempting claim to think that there's just a little bit more knowledge, a little bit more revelation that we need before everything's okay. It's tempting for the Colossians then, and it's tempting for us now. Because life is difficult. And life is hard. 
And as humans, like, we, just, we just want that, we want that quick fix, that next step. Like if we were to, like if I could just listen to a podcast and fundamentally change, you know, some aspect of my thought process and become 10 times more efficient at X, Y, and Z, like we all want that. We all, we all spend our times, in fact, consuming uh, media or information in an attempt to just take that one next step forward to make life a little bit easier. And, and honestly, uh, frankly, a lot of Christian enterprise is aimed at that weakness inside of us. Um, a lot of Christian resources or even conferences that are aimed at us saying, if, if you just get this resource, if you just go to this conference, you know, life will be easier for you. You will understand, you know, the mysteries of God if you just come and you pay money for these things. Life won't be easy, so let us not be deluded with plausible arguments. So knowing that God has prepared these things, uh, assurance of faith, treasures of wisdom and knowledge, but that they're like bound up in the person of Jesus, what does that practically mean for us? Like what, what does that mean to walk that out? How does that affect how we engage with God? So one of my favorite movies um, is a movie called I, Robot. Came out in 2004. I was 16. Um, and this is actually, this is a fun trivia fact. This is the first movie I ever saw at the Bird Theater in Richmond. It like blew my mind, both the theater experience of like the bird on a Friday night. Um, it was amazing. And then this movie just kind of was, was a cherry on top for it. Um, it's actually, it, it gets pretty bad online reviews. I'm going to be honest. So I'm going to go ahead and just spoil it for you guys so you don't have to watch it. It's also, you know, Really old, so if you haven't watched it, I'm sorry. It's a bit too old. Um, so yeah, the movie is a detective tale, right? Will Smith, he's a detective, and he's trying to solve the murder of this prominent scientist. Um, throughout the course of the movie, he interacts with that weird white-looking guy. Um, that's a robot. His name is Sonny, um, and he was that prominent, the, the murdered scientist's last creation, like this, this whole mystery. So, you know, Will Smith... Uh, he's doing his thing, like he's the detective. So he's doing what Nor- Will Smith normally does in movies. He's being belligerent. Uh, he's punching people. He's causing a lot of property damage, like just the normal. I mean, you could kind of cut and paste from a couple different movies for the good point of that. Yeah, it's solid. It's solid. So he's following all the logical clues. He's doing the detective thing. He's, he's following all the leads, but they're leading nowhere. Like all the things that should make sense, he's just getting stonewalled with. Um, and so eventually he's forced to look, work with the, the robot, Sonny, who he basically starts to see we, he, when he starts off that relationship. He sees the robot as a disposable uh, threat. However, over the course of the movie, um, and, and what becomes very interesting is that the robot goes from being a suspect in the plot to kind of a general aid to being revealed as the uniquely created key that would solve the actual problem that was happening. And, and, and the twist at the end is that it, it doesn't end up being Will Smith who saves the day. It's actually the robot. And it was actually he was created for that. And the movie wasn't actually about Will Smith at all. <laughs> and that's really the key, I think, to understanding our relationship and our partnership with God is that Christ is not our means to an end. 
He's the end. When we're talking, he's not our detective buddy that's helping us solve a mystery. Like Christ is the mystery. That's That's what life is, is to understand the mystery of Christ. And, the, and, and one of the mysteries of Christ is that he's walking alongside us during that entire process. In John 17, Jesus prays for us and he says that he wants that we would have eternal life, that we would know you, we would know God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom we have sent. So we're not promised an easy life. Like we're not promised to understand all of the things that happen to us, all the things that go on in a day-to-day life. But what we are promised, what we're promised in Scripture, is a knowledge and experience of a mysterious and yet in-person God. He's mysterious and yet he's in-person And so here's where our our confidence lies. It's that the God who began a good work in you will take it to completion. That like each one of you are part of God's family and that there's a relationship that he's created there that's destined to grow. That there's a relationship there. Christ is in heaven sitting for you on your behalf, praying for you to God. This is an active thing that God is doing for you, walking out your faith as you pursue God. This is the reality of being a Christian. It's where our confidence lies. And so what does this process look like? Well, it's going to affect our intellect. We're intellectual beings. We get to discover more about God in the word and in debate and in conversation. But it also affects our emotions and it also affects our spirit. The thing that God has placed inside of us that makes us a holistic spiritual being. And our primary role as we walk out our faith, as we walk out our relationship with Christ, isn't so much to just feel like we have to intellectually assent to every step along the way, but open ourselves up to be the work of the Holy Spirit and whatever he's doing in our lives. Whether that's a hard time or a good time, whether that's a book, whether that's a walk, whether that's the correction of a friend or a parent, um, whether that's the birth of a child, all these are moments where God is still with us, still leading us towards him. And we're, it's our privilege to be changed in those moments, to have something about us reflecting God because God is currently and will continue to always change you to look more like him because we're found in Christ. The mystery is found in Christ and we're part of that. We're included in that. And so this is a short sermon, y'all. We're about to head into our time of reflection. And um, in fact, the choir can, can go ahead and go on stage. And so as we close, we're going to do three things. So I'm going to share a personal testimony. Um, I'm going to share a a short piece of writing that I did. Um, And then we're going to enter into a time of worship. And my short instruction for this time of worship is that you just, you don't overthink it. Just be in the moment with God. 
I think we've, we've had the experience even already today of being in that moment, being in that pocket where we don't have to necessarily think about yesterday or even last hour. And we don't have to think to the future, but we can be here in this moment with God and allow God to speak to us exactly where we are. Whatever you need to hear from God, take that to him. As you worship God, as you focus your attention on him, also be in the posture to receive wherever you are in life. Worship with a dual posture. So this sermon is short. Um, I think in part because the verse is short and it's a simple message. Um, But we've also had, for me personally, I haven't had a lot of time to prepare because it's been a really, really tough month um, for me and my family. Um, So a lot of you know, um, but two weeks ago, Liz and I uh, went into the hospital at about 2 a.m. Liz was having severe abdominal pain, um, and we went at 2 a.m., and they told us uh, that Liz was eight weeks pregnant. They told us that the baby had passed. And they also told us that the pregnancy was in a place in her body. It was an ectopic pregnancy. Uh, It was in a place in her body that couldn't have a baby and was actually a life-threatening condition for her. Um, This is a condition that actually in the 80s killed the majority of women that had it. Um, And even today is a a number one cause of death. And so it was an extremely serious situation. Um, Very impactful. And and thankfully, the, the doctor's rushed her along, thankfully, very thankful for MCV. Um, the doctors rushed her along, got through surgery, um, and she's here now and recovering. Amen. Thank you, God. And we praise God for that. And we thank so much for the community that was here um, that sustained us with meals and in just being with us in texts and calls and hugs. Um, but it didn't also, that didn't make it easy. Um, you know, there's still the loss of a child. There's still the trauma of a surgery. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, we had kids sick. We're struggling to keep up with our jobs and our car breaking down. Like, these are the moments in life where it's like you can only be with God. And this was, what it, this was my time to be with God. Like, when I was preparing this sermon, it's like I can just, th- this is the only thing that I can do is be in this verse. To understand Christ as my confidence and my foundation, I can't, like, if I look to the past, there's pain. If I look to the, fo- the future, I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that now, like, Christ is with me. And that's what worship can do. Like, worship is a place for us to be centered on God. Amen. And allow whatever God needs to, like, whatever there needs to happen in me can, can happen in that space. So I'm going to share a, a piece of writing that I did. Um, it's a spoken word. And this is a piece of writing that I did uh, in response to the, the events of the last few weeks. I wrote it about two days after Liz's surgery. Um, and also just in reflection on this first. So I'm going to share this spoken word. Um, and then we're going to just go right into worship. And as I said before, I just encourage you to take whatever, whatever is in your heart. Like it, it could be pain. It could be joy. It's wherever you are in your life, wherever God has you, whatever God is doing. Like this isn't, this isn't a place of guilt. 
This isn't a place to think like, uh, uh, tomorrow I'll go and have my quiet time or I'll read the book or I'll go apologize to this person. Like, yes, allow God to work and correct. But this is a moment to be with God. This is a moment to hear and have God speak to your soul, speak to your spiritual being and bring whatever he needs at the time. Forget two sets of footprints in the sand. I have a hundred. Countless times I've repeated past mistakes or in pain gone back to scuff at prints of yesteryear, wishing I could make them disappear. The pain you see is more than mere regret. It's looking to a fault-filled future that already seems futile. Timelines of possibilities flow in parallel, then criss, then cross. Racing past me, I can't keep up. There's too many. It's too far. To be or not to be in this moment, that's my question. If the future sprouts in mystery from the set seed of the past, then I just need to find the now and water it. And right now, right now, Now, I'm clinging to Christ. But though my joy and comforts die, I know my Savior liveth. But though the darkness gather round, songs in the night he giveth. The hymn's words press me into place, the sacred space, physically bound to earth, yet spiritually ascendant. And while we're speaking about transcendency, full assurance of mystery, come on, tell me that's not a paradox. In fact, box that up, break it into people-pleasing chunks, and you could probably make a profane scent. But me, I'll take the whole intangible experience. I'm a millionaire, an heir, Mystery embraced by faith, I stand. Here lies my rock beneath the sand. Let's worship.